Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. My name is Josh Lyons. I've been listening to Hardcore and Punk since 1995. I have book shows, put out a fanzine, run a record label, and now I'm doing a podcast. This is the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 13. As always, you can find us on the web at EnterpriseHardcorePodcast.com. There you will find links to all of our social media pages, as well as all of our streaming information. This episode features a chat with Brendan Poré. Brendan's been a mainstay in the Rochester hardcore scene for over 30 years now. During that time, he's played in some pretty noteworthy bands, and he's also had some pretty wild experiences. So without further ado, let's jump right into the interview. So describe your background and your upbringing. I was born in Norwalk, Connecticut. And I lived there for a few years. Um, my dad worked for IBM, so we moved around a little bit. Um, I spent most of my preteen years living in Roswell, Georgia, which is just outside Atlanta. Uh, I was into, you know, sports early on, soccer, baseball, that type of stuff. And uh, when I was six or seven, my parents ended up getting me a skateboard from a, a garage sale. And that ended up being my uh, introduction to hardcore and punk rock. I met some older, you know, neighbors, kids in the neighborhood that skated. And there wasn't that many of us back then. Uh, so we all kind of stuck together. And, you know, they, we'd be out skating and they'd have, you know, boombox playing all this music. I, you know, I was unfamiliar with at the time. They were in the Black Flag and, you know, Butthole Surfers and Minor Threat, this type of stuff. You know, at the time I was just, you know, watching MTV and into bands like, uh, you know, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, Quiet Riot, Molly Crew, uh, Def Leppard, except like heavy metal stuff. And uh, so I, I started liking what, what they, what they were playing. It was, you know, completely, completely new to me and unlike anything I heard. And, you know, after a couple of years of, uh, you know, that i asked my my next door neighbor mark i said hey can you make me a, a tape of some some of the fast stuff and he made me a couple tapes and that was that was it from there as far as uh being hooked on hardcore and punk rock yeah you know it's interesting too because uh like i tried the whole skateboarding thing when i was young and i could never figure out the tricks um and, and it's funny that you would say the mtv thing is is what you were into at the time and then you got into punk after that because for me uh, MTV kind of introduced me to punk because I was like coming of age, like like 14, 15, when, when like Green Day and all those bands were really starting to break. Um, so I guess that's kind of interesting for me. Yeah, MTV at the time was was still pretty new. So they were they were playing, you know, tons of tons of music and, and everything was new to me. I mean, prior prior to that, I didn't really have any, you know, musical experience besides like maybe Elvis and maybe like Kenny Rogers and you know, some country music that my, my dad might've listened to and like the Beatles, like I was really limited. So when, when I had moved to Atlanta and, and we got this new thing called MTV, it was kind of mind blowing because every day you were, you know, watching it and there was something new that you were getting turned on to as a, as a young kid. So it's a lot different now. Yeah, it's definitely a lot different with the social media and Spotify and all that stuff. And, you know, it's, it's funny, too, because my son really likes uh, Elvis right now. So I, I can I think he can relate to your upbringing. Um, but what were your what were the first couple shows you went to? Like, like what do you have of memories for that kind of experience? I ended up moving uh, to outside of Rochester when I was 13. So at the time, you know, at the time 
obviously I was, I was a little young for shows. I started going to shows. I think the first one I went to was in 1990. Um, I had met some skaters when I moved up here, got turned on to more hardcore stuff and, you know, eventually, you know, got a heads up. Hey, there's the show going on. It was a, it was a basement show uh, with a bunch of local bands playing. Uh, it was as is pressure head suburban refugees and red spot. And, uh, we went and it was, you know, that was, that was the start. You know, when, when I first started listening to, to these, you know, tapes that I got, the, the, there was kind of a disconnect between like listening and like the live aspect. I didn't really, I don't know. It wasn't really on my mind, but then, you know, when I got into, you know, high school, junior high or whatever, and, you know, friends started going to shows and they're telling me about it. It's like, yeah, I want to, I want to see, see what's going on. So once I went to that first show, you know, I was hooked and, you know, some of the other shows um, that band as is turned into foundation, who was one of the best Rochester hardcore bands, in my opinion, uh, that we ever had. And uh, that, that was another show. I saw them with uh, dead milkman um, moment of truth, another Rochester local band that I saw their first show. That was probably 91 um, sick of it all came through agnostic front came through those were probably like the first, the first bunch of shows that I saw. Yeah. And it's crazy that your first, the first few shows you saw involved uh sick of all and Gnostic front. Those guys are still going today. And, and now you have moment of truth reunited. So I feel like everything's kind of come full circle at that point for you. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's wild. And uh, you know, most, most of the bands on those two tapes that I started out with, mo most of them I got to see with the exception of uh, dead Kennedy's, with uh with jello singing and uh a band called crucifix who i never got to see but all those other bands and you know agnostic front was one of the bands on that tape bad brains was one of the bands on that tape and i fortunately got to see all those bands and a lot of those bands you know that were around back then are still around still around now and it's it's incredible to have that opportunity to still be able to go see the you know the agnostic fronts and and the sick of it alls and, the, and those type of bands that have been around so long it's you know kudos to them for keeping it going for so long my first memory of you uh like playing in a band was playing contempt which we'll get to in a minute um but you were playing bass then uh had you played any instruments before that when i was in probably sixth or seventh grade i was in the in the school band playing saxophone i had wanted to play drums and of course everybody wanted to play drums so there was only so many so many slots available to do that so i was playing I started out on alto saxophone and then um played tenor sax baritone sax and i was in school band until maybe eighth grade or so and uh you know it was it was something to do at the time but i wasn't really you know i wasn't really that connected to the music and the the people that was in that whole that whole crowd so um eventually my my friend mark who was uh you know had gotten me into a bunch of stuff and i turned him onto a bunch of stuff eventually he was like hey we should start a band and i was like yeah all right cool he's like he's like i got a guitar and this guy plays drums and this guy's gonna sing and you play bass and i was like all right i didn't really know what bass was you know too much at the time like i didn't i, I couldn't have picked it out in, in most of the stuff but you know we we ended up doing it we started a band it was probably around 90 91 something like that and it was the first band i did with him was called under attack and that lasted maybe six months or a year. We played a few basement shows and then we ended up starting another band after that kind of ran its course. And um, that one was called Verdict. And that ended up being with Brad, 
who became the singer of Contempt later on. And the same thing, we played around for maybe, you know, a year or so. Um, and then that kind of, we all kind of went in different directions and Brad and I stuck together and ended up forming Contempt. Yeah, and Contempt, I feel like definitely had their moment. And now, obviously, as we'll get to in a second, you guys have kind of had like a second life now. Um, and, and, and if I'm not mistaken, you guys were one of the only straight edge bands in the area at the time. And, and obviously, Brad was like hardline straight edge at the time. So what was the vibe like for that at the time for you guys? Uh, we had foundation, but they weren't really playing all that much at that time. Some of those guys were in college and they would kind of play here and there, uh, like around RIT and maybe, you know, Syracuse or something. But they weren't playing a whole a whole lot. They played maybe a handful of shows in, the, in those later years of the band. And so besides that, there were, there really wasn't any straight edge bands in Rochester. Brad at the time wasn't hardline and all, and all that. That kind of happened like as the band evolved or whatever we were all we were all straight edge and that's kind of what what brought us together brad and i coming from the other thing we wanted to do a straight edge band and uh we ended up meeting bill and and telly who had kind of jammed together i think and we ended up we ended up forming contempt in like summer of 93 or so and uh you know it became it became a problem as the band went on and, and members would come and go to find straight edge people to play in the band because Rochester just didn't have a big scene for that at all. So, um, yeah. And then the band kind of evolved, like as it was going, it got more into like the animal rights aspect and, you know, vegan vegetarian topics and stuff like that. Yeah. And it seemed like you guys might, may have even had a slightly bigger following in Syracuse. I remember, especially the, all, all the flyers that Greg Benoit post it seemed like contemplate in Syracuse just as much or more than they did in Rochester. It took us maybe a couple of years to break to break into Syracuse. I think maybe around '95 we played there, and then we played we played quite a few shows in Syracuse after that. Um, Syracuse was obviously a lot more receptive to it because they had the huge straight edge scene and you know the animal rights scene going on. You know you had Earth Crisis, Solstice, you know all these bands from there. So the scene the scene there was huge. But Rochester being an hour away was like it was like night and day. You know the scene the scene there was huge and thriving and and. Rochester's always gone, you know, gone in, in phases. It's, it's been, you know, bigger at times and it's been, you know, a lot more, a lot more smaller and underground at times. Yeah. And then you guys disbanded after a while. And now it's interesting that, you know, and, and you guys aren't the only band, but, but a few bands have kind of like developed a following over the years, probably thanks to the internet and, and, and somebody ended up making some shirts and some tapes for you guys. Yeah. My brother, Justin in, in, in Jacksonville, we were talking one day and, uh, he mentioned contempt and he was like, he was like, yeah, they're from up your way. And I was like, yeah, that was my band. And he's like, he thought I was busting his balls. I was like, no, that was, that was my band. And he's like, he's like, holy shit. And he's like, he's like, what if, what if we've made some shirts or whatever? And cause he had collected like a bunch of, a bunch of stuff. And so I was like, yeah, sure. You know, cause a, a bunch of people would, would hit me up here and there over the years. Like, Hey, do you have any, have any shirts left? Do you have any of this left? And you know, we didn't, we didn't really have that much. We didn't make a, you know, a, a ton of merchandise while we were a band. So he, he wanted to do that. We did the shirts, you know, people were pretty stoked on that. And then he was like, you know, what if I, what if I made uh, all the demos, the three demos that we did and, you know, put them into a package and put that out. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, whatever you want. So um, we may do some more stuff down the road. Who knows? Um, as long as, as long as people are into it, then, you know, there's no reason not to. Yeah, it's definitely cool to see a resurgence of a lot of bands from the 90s, like some of the bands like you guys who probably didn't get their due at the time. Like, it's cool that people still care about that stuff years later. 
And towards the end of, of Contempt, or maybe the last couple of years, you put out an issue of uh, Nothing But Enemies fanzine. Uh, how did that all come about? And what was that experience like? I had done a couple of zines before that. Uh, Brad and I worked on a zine called Edgeview, like in the mid-90s. And then he had some other zine, I think, that, that he did. And I helped him out with that. And then, uh, you know, at the time, the idea behind Nothing But Enemies was geared more towards, like, New York hardcore and, like, the heavier heavier side of stuff. And uh, ended up, you know, do, interviewing a lot of a lot of cool bands, making a lot of cool connections with that. We did. Uh, I did one issue of that, and then um, was in the middle of the, the next issue, and it ended up getting getting sidetracked with other stuff that was going on in life at the time. But you know, the, I met a lot of people through that that I'm still that I'm still friends with now, either like through bands or you know people that hit me up for ads or sending in stuff to review or whatever. So it was a good experience, and uh, it's cool to see now that there's like more of a, a resurgence of people doing fanzines and stuff because that was kind of a lost art for a few years. I had a lot of fun doing my fanzine, and that's probably one of the, the, the biggest things I miss about doing all that stuff back then. Um, so I guess around this time, too, you had started Surface Records. Uh, was that more of a vehicle to put out records for your band, and then you ended up putting out records for other bands as well? Yeah, Surface started with uh, the Contempt 7-inch. We did that in in 95, and uh, you know, a bunch of our friends were putting out their own stuff at the time, and you know, we were always very DIY with, you know, doing stuff uh with the with with that band as far as like you know recording our stuff copying our tapes ourselves making our layouts ourselves doing you know uh distributing our our, our demos out and all that so we came time we said hey let's do a seven inch and and i was like i'm kind of i'd be into giving it a crack so we we started surface records and then um we put that put the contempt seven inch out and then from there you know i i worked with a, a bunch of friends over the years you know they would they would have something they didn't have a label like hey you want to put this out yeah sure so it was always it was always people that that i knew that i that i worked with yeah and obviously the record that stands out for me is that god below lp but if i'm not mistaken you, you did some stuff for the ringworm too uh, what were those experiences like I met those guys when they got when they got back together. I was booking shows, and uh, I met I met Frank and James and those guys, and they had done some. We had done some shows together with with God Below and them. I was doing you know the booking with God Below and putting out their records. And Ringworm was fans of God Below. God Below was huge fans of Ringworm, so we ended up uh, getting a split together. And that was they had just Ringworm had just gotten back together after you know a few years off, and they were kind of giving it a go as a as a full fully functioning band and they had put out they had put out a, a demo called madness of war and then after that we uh i got them to do a, a new song uh, a redo of an old song and then a, a cover of uh raw deal song and then god below ended up doing two new songs and they did a, a cover of master of puppets so we ended up putting that out and then after that uh ringworm like right around that time when it came out it signed to victory records yeah, I definitely feel like Gobble is one of those bands that was kind of slept on. I mean, I mean, I, I think they probably had a decent following in Syracuse, but it seems like they could have been a little bit bigger than they were. Um, now, and you were booking shows throughout all those years. Uh, what what kind of got you started on that on that path? Well, as far as Gobble, yeah, they had they had huge potential, and uh, it's unfortunate that they they didn't stay the course with that band because that band I think really would have been huge. They had all the all the elements that you know just like a year or so after after they broke up like all that stuff really hit huge um 
and a lot of those bands that they came up with went on to become big bands and some of them are still you know really big bands uh as far as booking shows it's back to the diy aspect with with contempt and whatnot it was you know we were we would set up you know we did a bunch of like house shows at, at at rit the local college and that was that was a lot of fun and you know we would just always try and you know find cool bands and and call them up and see if we could get them to come up and, and play here and it was like there wasn't a lot of other people doing shows at that time so it was kind of like if you wanted it to happen you had to do it yourself yeah and you booked a lot of really cool shows over those years and, and i know you booked at least a couple in syracuse and buffalo too um how did you kind of like establish yourself as a promoter over, over those years i did it started out you know it would be just calling calling up you know your band a band that you like hey you want to come you want to come play hey we'll give you some gas money cool and you know it became more you know as as, as time went on in the in the mid 90s it became you know a little bit more popular and some of the, some of the bands would have booking agents and whatnot and you know i was going to show i was going to shows in albany at the time i had met the promoter there ted Etal, who, who did like all the shows there and he kind of he kind of helped me out a lot when it was when I wanted to take things to the next level and try and get, you know, some bigger bands and also Chris ring and, and, uh, Buffalo, he was, he had been booking a little bit longer than I had. So he had a little bit more experience when it came to contracts and whatnot. So th those two were a huge help, uh, when that happened, as far as like branching out to Buffalo, um, that was, that was due to Chris, Chris and I, Chris and I were friends and we ended up co-promoting a couple shows. I think we did a Scarhead show there. We did a, a Marauder show there. Uh, we might have done a few more at, at this place called the Basement Bar in Buffalo, and Syracuse. Like, I had I had connections there from, from playing there, and some of the stuff I wanted to book. You know, it it really depended whether I thought the show would do better in Syracuse or it would do better here or would do better in Buffalo, and based on that would be where where I would try and book it. Or sometimes a promoter would hit me up, "Hey, we want to do this show, but we want it to be in Syracuse." All right, it's in Syracuse then, but. You know, some of the New York hardcore stuff really wasn't that popular in Rochester at the time. And so, you know, to do to do something like that, sometimes it was it would have been more feasible to do in Syracuse or Buffalo. And, you know, that's one thing that is kind of cool about living in this area. Like, like yeah, all, all these cities are pretty small, but it, it's kind of a lucky thing that we have Syracuse and Buffalo. We're like right sandwich in between the two of them, you know. Yeah. And back then they were completely different scenes like Syracuse was the big the big straight edge scene you know they'd have a couple matinee shows a month and you know a lot of huge shows and Buffalo was more like metal oriented maybe not not as straight edge oriented at all and, and Rochester was kind of kind of in the middle of that so like each each scene was like completely different from the other so it was cool like being you know all each of those those places being an hour away from here yeah, definitely. No, for me, it was it was cool growing up and being able to, you know, it, it seemed like every weekend I was either going to Buffalo or Syracuse. I mean, when I was when I first got into it, I mostly went to shows in Buffalo, but then I would go to Syracuse a little every so often, too. And around that era, my buddy Spindle had actually showed me a copy of Full Contact magazine. And then when my girlfriend Becky and I were taking road trips to Toronto, I ended up finding it, a couple issues. Of them, so I ended up buying them. Uh, how did that all come about? And what, what was that experience like? So I had stopped doing nothing but enemy zine and I was going, going to a lot of shows at the time. Um, I was at a show in, in New York. It was a, it was a show that a benefit show that John Joseph had put on called hardcore against hunger. It was, I believe 97, 98. 
98 maybe and uh every band in new york played that you know it was you know madball crown of thorns vod maximum penalty biohazard sick of it all straight ahead burn like everybody everybody played pro mags played um and I met Rod, who does full contact at that show. I think he was he had just put out his first issue and he was sell, and he was selling zines or whatever. And we ended up we ended up talking. We ended up hitting it off and stayed in touch. And the zine that that he produced, you know, it was half, half English, half Japanese because he he had a lot of connections in, in Japan and he was trying to focus on, you know, that market as well. And it was just a really well done uh, it, it was like a magazine. It was like nothing else that, you know, I had seen as far as like people in the scene uh, putting out. So we had, we had stayed in touch and we, we would go to a lot of shows and, you know, eventually he's like, Hey, you want to do this interview for me? You want to help, you know, write some reviews. So it was kind of a natural, a natural fit. And over the next few years, like we went, you know, to a ton of shows in New York and in Albany and Syracuse, you know, everywhere. Yeah, and that was definitely, like you said, it was one of the most well-done zines. I, I think it probably is like the most well-done zine that I've seen done. And, and you had the opportunity to interview a lot of really cool bands when you did that, too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there was a lot, lot of cool interviews, met a lot of, met a lot of cool people um, through doing that as well. And, you know, again, with the, the zine experience and all the people that you meet, you know, a, a lot of people that I met through that I'm, I'm friends with still, which is cool. I'm even going to try and see if I can bust out a couple of those old issues and, and post a couple of interviews on my blog if, if that dude route's cool with it. Um, so I think towards the end of the, the run of, of Full Contact, you started doing Heat Seeker. And I'm pretty sure I was at the first show because I remember the, the Disaster played their first show that night too. And I think Eternal Youth and, and uh, Head On played their, their final like, reunion shows or whatever. Uh, how did that band all come, come together? So towards the end, towards the end of Contempt, we had a bunch of lineup changes. I sang for a little bit for the band and then Brad ended up coming back to the band and I ended up switching to, to guitar because I wanted to play, I wanted to play guitar to, it was easier to write, write songs that way. And I was writing more stuff like, you know, from the middle, the middle of the band on, um, in that sense. So contempt finally ran its course and, and we kind of all broke off into different directions. And I had formed a, like a punk rock oi type band with my, with my friend Sean at the time called Street Razor. And we played, we played a few shows, but we didn't really have a, that stable lineup. And we ended up, you know, as it went on, it, it, the sound of the band became more rock and roll. And Sean ended up bowing out eventually. I ended up getting Jeff, uh, who played drums in Break of Dawn. And uh, I think he sang for Head On. And we ended up doing, we ended up kind of renaming it Heat Seeker. And it was more, you know, more rock and roll, Motorhead, ACDC, Thin Lizzy type stuff. And it was cool because it was totally, totally new, new ground for me at the time. And it was some, something fresh and exciting. So we kind of, we, we did that. We got together in, uh, in 2000 and, you know, with various lineups that's been together since then. And yeah, the first show, first show we did was in, uh, it was actually Jeff's basement with the disaster and, uh, and Heat Seeker and a few other bands that played as well. Yeah, and you mentioned and you singing for Contempt towards the end of the run there. Uh, I, I can picture you doing like backing vocals in a band, but I really can't picture you singing for a band. Uh, is that something that just happened like out of necessity or, or had you kind of wanted to sing for a band before too? It kind of just happened. There was some there was some inner band drama that happened uh, between the singer uh, Brad and the guitar player Bill. And 
Brad at the time ended up leaving the band and we all wanted to keep going. So um, I ended up, I ended up singing for, for a little bit. It wasn't, wasn't terribly long and it was like, it was, it was definitely towards the, towards the end of the band. And then, you know, after that, uh, Bill ended up leaving. And so that kind of paved the way for Brad to come back to the band for a little bit. And then we kind of finished him, him and I finished, finished the band or whatever, uh, around 99 or so. A couple years after you had started Heatseeker, you, you then formed Borrowed Time. And as you had kind of referenced before, the, the New York hardcore scene, the, that kind of music wasn't really all that popular here. So how did that band come about? And, and how were you guys received when you first started that band? When Contempt ended, I, 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 the next hardcore thing I wanted to do, I, I didn't really want to do do something that was, you know, uh, a straight edge band or like a animal rights type band or whatever. I wanted to just kind of do a New York hardcore band. And it took a while to find the right people. And I had met Aiden, the original singer, um, just after I formed Heatseeker. And we had talked about doing something, but it just, the timing just didn't work out at, the, at that time. So a few years later, like 2004, um, we ended up meeting up again. And he, he, had, he had went on to do a band called Something Sacred with the original Borrowed Time bass player, Jim. And... We, we met up at a show or something and he said, Hey, you know, me and Jim, you know, want to do something if you're, if you're still interested. And, uh, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm down to do something. Like, I don't want, I don't want to like join, join your thing. I want to do something from scratch. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. So we ended up getting together and, uh, you know, we went through, went through a few drummers, um, initially and, uh, right before we did the demo it was actually the night before uh we did the demo um i had asked my my brother Corey from from syracuse and uh you know i said hey we we, we got to go into the studio and we need we need someone to play drums and so he ended up uh learning the songs the night before we went into the studio we did the demo and he he played with us for you know maybe six months or so or maybe a little maybe a little longer than that yeah, and, and as I as I think I've told you before, I'm pretty envious of you guys because you got to go over to Europe. Uh, was that your first time going over to Europe, and, and what was that experience like? Yes, it was. We we did the demo. Um, we put that out, and uh, Patrick uh, from Reaper Records, he was someone that that I was pen pals with back in the '90s from doing you know Contempt and and the zines that I was doing, and so we had stayed in touch. He had just started Reaper not long before we got together. He heard the demo and he was like, I want to, I want to do something with you guys. So we ended up doing the, the no escape for no escape from this life record with Reaper. And he said, Hey, you know, would you guys be into touring Europe? And we were like, absolutely. So he put us in touch with, with some friends of his over there, a band called cheap thrills. And we ended up, uh, you know, working it out with them that we'd go over for, you know, I think it was 10 shows or whatever. I'm not sure. This was around 2007. And, um, so we had in typical, typical borrowed time fashion, it was like a, la a last minute, like thing that we pulled off by the skin of our teeth. Our drummer for some reason was unable to get his passport in time and he ended up, we were supposed to fl fly out on a Thursday and on a Monday he had an appointment at the, the regional office, uh, to try and, to try and get his passport because it, Apparently the application went to the wrong office and there was a bunch of, bunch of issues with it. So we had an appointment booked. Our, our bass player drove him six hours to Connecticut to the regional office and they get there and uh, 
the bass player calls me and he said, we got a problem. He can't get it. He can't get his passport in time. So I called everybody I knew that played drums. Hey, can you, can you learn these songs and, and leave in three days? Couldn't find anybody. So by, you know, the next day I, I called, uh, called the band Cheap Thrills and I, and, and I was talking to the, talking to the bass player and I said, Hey, we really want to go, but our drummer, our drummer can't go. I don't know who else we can get. Would your drummer possibly be interested in learning some of the songs? And he's like, let me talk to him. Calls me back. He says, you know, the drummer said he can learn happier stuff. And he said, he said, I play bass, but I'm also a drummer. I'll learn the other happier set. So we flew over to Europe. We got off the plane. We drove, we practiced for two hours. And then we went and played our first show uh, with two drummers for the entire tour. And it ended up, it ended up working out great. Yeah, it's really interesting you guys be able to pull something like that off. And I know you guys have had some member changes over the years, but Borrowed Time is still an active band, correct? Yes, definitely. Uh, we we kind of had a, a few years on hiatus. Aiden ended up uh, going on to do other stuff in, I think, around 2000, 2009. Um, and the band was on ice for a little bit. And then around 2013, um, I got a new lineup and, and we came back and have done that, you know, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less, but consistently since, since 2013. Yeah. And I guess one of the reasons that you guys would be kind of inactive is, is my next question pretty much. So for the last few years, you've been doing like guitar tech type stuff. Uh, describe the bands you've worked for and how that experience all came about. Well, it came, it came about uh, my brother, Mike Valeni from Brick by Brick. Um, he had given me a call, said, uh, Madball was looking for somebody to help him out on a, a run that they were doing. And, you know, would I be interested? And at the time, at the time I didn't have any experience doing it. I mean, I played bass, I played guitar, but I, you know, I, I wasn't really that familiar with, with teching or whatever, but I was like, I was like, yeah, you know, I don't have any experience, but I'm, I'm absolutely down to learn. And, um, so we, I ended up, uh, doing the run with Madball and um that went really well and we ended up you know they ended up asking me to do you know a bunch more stuff and that was probably four four years ago or so and um you know I got I got a shout out uh my brother Warren Lee um he was a he was a huge help in in helping me learn learn how to how to do the job properly and any any question I ever had he was able he was able to help me out and uh he was he was kind of a mentor for me as far as doing that, and also uh, Noodles, who who works with Sick of It All. He was also a big help, and and you know we ended up working some of the the black and blue bowls. Um, I ended up helping him work the stage uh, for for a few years doing that. So that working with Madball, we ended up going on tour with Suicidal Tendencies um, about three three and a half years ago or so, and then we ended up going on tour with them again like a, a little over a year ago and you know it just became friends with those guys and was just helping out you know help helping helping their crew out when when i could if they needed help and mike you know the singer ended up taking taking note of that and he ended up uh pulling me aside in the middle of the tour and he said hey you know thanks for helping out. I see you, I see you doing all this stuff and, you know, nobody's asking you to help, but you know, we, we appreciate it and, and I appreciate it. And it's not, it's not going unnoticed. And I was like, Oh, thanks. Mike, that's really cool. 
And by the end of the tour, he ended up pulling uh, Freddie aside and said, hey, would you mind if, if we use your tech to go to Europe? And so I ended up going to Europe and then I've worked, you know, on and off uh, with those guys for the last the last year or so. And those guys are great to work for. And w would you have ever pictured like when you were skating and listened to all that music back in the day, like like one, that one day you'd be working for suicidal tendencies? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But, you know, the first I will say this, the first time the first time we went on tour with them, uh, like three and a half, four years ago, I came away um, from that tour a bigger fan of the band than I was going into it, because every every night those guys would be, you know, out interacting with the fans every night after after their set they'd be at the at the merch booth the entire band signing everything for every kid and you know just the way the way they handle everything is you know for for a band of that level is pretty much as as hands-on and diy as you can be and those guys are really the most down-to-earth cool guys um as people and great to work for yeah, and I haven't seen Suicidal in many years, but I've, I've watched a couple of videos in recent years, and it seems like, like Mike definitely still still brings the energy live for that band. Yeah, absolutely. And about three, around the time that we did that first tour with them, uh, Dave Lombardo from Slayer joined the band on drums. And, you know, there were a number of years where Suicidal had gotten a little bit too, too funky and towards, like, the infectious groove style stuff that wasn't wasn't as much my thing and Dave came in and they they kind of recentered and re refocused and they're killing it now they the band sound the band sounds great and that kind of goes back to what you were saying before it's just crazy that there's so many of these bands that have been around for so many years and they have just as much energy and and they they they're still killing it years later you know and and that actually brings me to my next question um so so now you're playing in sheer terror uh how did that all come about I was coming off a tour um teching and ended up that tour in florida i was flying up to canada to play two shows with with borrowed time uh opening up for sheer tear and i was on a layover in philadelphia and the the promoter who's an old friend of mine from up there uh ewan he gave he texted me and said hey would you be into playing bass for sheer terror tonight and i texted him back like yeah like are you busting my balls or what and he didn't reply to me before I got on the next the next flight. So, you know, I'm listening on that flight to like the songs that the staples that I knew would be in the set list. And I get off the get off the plane to Montreal and you know, I got a bunch of texts waiting for me. Yep, it's real. Here's the set. Here's here's the band's number. Give them a call and and uh work out the details. And so I called Jason, who was then the bass player of the band, and He's, he says, uh, so you're a guitar player, right? And I was like, well, yeah, I am a guitar player, but the dude had asked me if I wanted to play bass. So I kind of listened to your songs the last couple hours, you know, from a bass player standpoint. So I'd probably be more comfortable doing that. And uh, he's like, all right, well, our, you know, our guitar player, uh, he, he wasn't able to get through the border. So um, I have his guitar, but he's like, I've never, I've never played guitar live but he's like I, I can play the guitar parts I can cover that if you if you can learn the songs and I was like yeah so I get to the venue learn eight songs we play the set we pull it off and uh Paul who I knew a little bit at the time but not not 
not really that well. You know, he was like, thank you so much. You really, you really saved us with this. And he's like, he's like, anytime, anytime I need somebody uh, to help out, he's like, you'll, you'll be my go-to guy. And I was like, cool, thanks. You know, I appreciate it. And, you know, within the, the next year, uh, Jason ended up having, having surgery. So he ended up not being able to play a weekend and I ended up filling in again. Again, it went well. And then uh, later that later that year, uh, they had a, a tour in Europe that that happened, and it was uh, it was something that Jason also couldn't do. And so um, he had asked me if I wanted to play. We did the tour, and when we got back from from Europe, um, one of the one of the other guys stepped down. So I was going to come in on second guitar, and then the way it worked out, Jason ended up uh, leaving the band, and then I ended up switching over to bass permanently so i've been playing bass with them for you know a year and a half or so and are you guys currently writing well obviously not currently because of what's going on with the, with, with the covid and everything but were you guys like like in the in the process of writing new songs and everything now that you're in the band too yes we did we did a a, a flexi we did a we did a depeche mode cover that we put out for a, for a tour that we did last year and that was the first thing uh that i recorded with them that was actually us as a five piece with, with Jason on bass and, and, and me on guitar. And then uh, we've slowly been working on uh, a new record since since then. So we have a few things in the works and, uh, you know, hopefully sooner than later, we'll get we'll get something together and we'll be able to get a new album out. Yeah, that would be really cool. And, and I know I, I've seen videos of you playing bass or I think it's bass, but I know I've seen videos of you playing in Slapshot anyways. Uh, I, I obviously you play with them, too. Are there any other bands that you've been playing with? Slapshot, I filled in for a few dates. Um, their bass player, uh, Packer, wasn't able wasn't able to do those dates. And Corey, my ex bandmate, is is the drummer in, in Slapshot now. So, you know, I'm tight with both of those guys. So they ended up asking me if I if I could do the shows, and I ended up ended up doing those shows with them. I filled in for for Brick by Brick on on a few occasions. Did a tour in Europe with them. Um, Pretty much, pretty much whenever my friends hit me up and say, hey, we need we need someone to help out, um, I'm down to do. I, I did a few uh, uh, Southeast Asia tour with Madball, helping them out after Mitz had left the band. And I uh, ended up doing like an East Coast run with them uh, as well the, the following year. So, yeah, kind of whenever whenever I get asked and I and I have an opening in my schedule, I, I, I love to play whenever I can. So I'm happy to do that. Yeah, and, and Southeast Asia sounds pretty crazy. Uh, how did that all come about, and what was that experience like? Mitz and Mitz and the band had, had parted ways, and they had a number of guys uh, filling in, and I was still I was still teching with them, you know, for for most of those runs. And they were going to have their original guitar player, Matty Henderson, uh, do it. Uh, there was a show that they had booked in L.A., and then there was two shows in Southeast Asia. There was Jakarta, Indonesia, and. Uh, Bangkok, Thailand, and for whatever reason, I think Matt, with his work, he wasn't able to do the shows. So, you know, I had I had told Freddie like, hey, if you if you ever need somebody, like I'm happy to I'm happy to fill in and help you whenever I can. And so, you know, he kept that in the back of his mind, and he said, hey, you know, what do you, what do you think of this? And you know, at the time, I had just done like a bunch a bunch of tours, and I was kind of on thin ice with my job. But I was like, I was like, this opportunity is too good to turn down. I'm like, you know, when am I ever going to get the opportunity to go to you know, two places that I never thought I would go to in my life with uh, Indonesia and Thailand. So, you know, we ended up doing doing it. It ended up going. It ended up going pretty well. Uh, 
went into those shows with no with no practice. We we ended up jamming three songs on soundcheck before the show in Jakarta, and we ended up headlining a festival in front of five thousand people. So it was kind of a trial by fire, but you know it all worked out. And then the following year, like I did a, a run with them, we ended up doing United Blood Fest and a and a few other shows on the East Coast. So it was a great experience. Yeah, no, that's phenomenal. I think again. Uh... I think a lot of people be envious of, of an opportunity like that, like not only to play in a festival, but to be able to play guitar with Madball is just, just a really cool thing to have done, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was a band that I've listened to uh, for a, a long time, since the, the early 90s or, you know, the, the late 80s when they when they first came around. So, you know, it was certainly a band that, that influenced me. And, you know, Agnostic Front, you know, where, where they morphed out of, that was a band that was, you know, one of my favorite bands of all time. So it was a, it was a, thrilled to be able to do that and uh you know slapshot too is a band that i had listened to for you know a long time since the the late 80s early 90s so that was that was also cool to be able to to fill in and, and to get to play with Corey again because we hadn't at the time played together in probably you know 15 years on stage so that was a cool experience so i guess you've cut you've had you've had some experiences with with shows and booking shows and playing shows and just going to shows um, what are like some of the crazier and funnier things that you've seen at, at those shows over the years? Like we were talking about uh, before with, with New York Hardcore not being particularly popular in Rochester. Uh, the late 90s, uh, Scarhead had put out the, the Kings of Crime record and, and uh, Dan, who had played in, in Aiden's old band, was working at uh, a local store uh, called Lakeshore Records. And they were coming through town with, I think, War at the time. And, and he set up an in-store with them and the band was going to play in the store. And uh, if you've ever seen the movie Spinal Tap, it was that exact thing. Like the band shows up, I was there, and nobody else showed up, and it was it was pretty pretty funny. Maybe not to them at the time, but in retrospect, it's it's pretty funny. And uh, you know, there's they're, they're sit, sitting around hanging out in the store, and there's customers like, uh, "Excuse me, sir, I got to get behind you to get to that CD on the rack or whatever." So it was it was pretty pretty amusing. And they ended up not playing. They, you know, they were just like, "Hey, come down to the show tonight. We'll put you on the list or whatever." And so I've I've stayed in touch with a lot of those guys uh, since then and become friends with a lot of those guys. So that was that was a pretty funny experience. I could definitely see Zach having a laugh about that at this point. Um, so so what kind of bands are you listening to currently? Um, newer newer hardcore bands um, and like metal bands. Uh, Rhythm of Fear I like a lot. Memorium, um, in the eyes of God, which is the original singer Bruce from Hundred Demons. They're pretty, they're they're a good band. Um, Apocalypse Tribe. That's Corey uh, and Carl from Earth Crisis. That's their their new thing that they're doing. Um, let's see, Combust from from New York. They're a they're a younger band that's uh, come out in the last few years. I, I dig them. Um, American War Machine. That's uh, the guys from Slapshot with uh, with our brother Truth singing from uh, from Chopper Head, um, they're a really good bands. Um, let's see, Bug Riot from uh, from Arizona, Get a Grip from Arizona. Uh, let's see what else newer bands. Uh, Silver Tomb, I like them. Lucifer, I like Lucifer a lot. That's one of the they're a newer band in the last few years that I like a lot. That's uh, that's Nick, who, who uh, used to play in Entombed, and uh, 
he's played in helicopters and a bunch of other bands over the years. It's like his his new band. It's like really Sabbathy type stuff. Um, the Skull, I like that. I like them. Um, so much music out there. Like people that people that say there isn't any good music now, you you got to dig. But there's tons of stuff out there. Yeah, no, that's 100% true. There's a lot of good bands out now. And I've never actually met that dude before, but you mentioned that dude, Truth. I, I want to give a shout out to his podcast too, because I got Ruben coming up pretty soon. Uh, if anybody hasn't checked out uh, Big Truth Podcast, make sure you do, because it's a good podcast. Absolutely, 100%. Big Truth Podcast. Shout out shout out to Truth. That, that podcast is great. When I was first starting to do this podcast, like I knew about Axe to Grind. Um, and I had kind of seen a little bit of the, I forget, I can't think of the name at off the top of my head. I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but, but, uh, Joe and, and Richie from, from, uh, Wisdom and Chains have a good podcast too. Um, but there's a lot of good hardcore podcasts out there now, I guess is what I'm trying yeah, to get Post at. America podcast. Shout out, shout out to them too. Uh, shout out to Isaac and his, and his podcast. Um, Warren Lee, he's got a new podcast called, uh, Dabganistan podcast that, that just launched in the last couple of weeks. That's really good. Check that out. Um, yeah, a lot of good stuff out there. Yeah, I'm glad you can remember the name of the Post America. I was literally, I was literally just listening to it the other day because speaking of Isaac, he's got a, a really funny interview on there. Uh, I won't spoil it for anybody, but I definitely recommend checking that out. So I guess, um, you know, hearing you talk about all the bands you've played in is almost kind of like kind of like a dream show for me. But and I'm guessing you've probably seen most of the good bands over the years. But if you if you had to put a dream show together of like four to six bands, who do you think would be on the mm. bill? Thin Lizzy, uh, the Live and Dangerous era lineup. I never got I never got to see them uh, with with Phil, but that that was my favorite lineup of theirs. So they would definitely be on it. Uh, Motorhead with their classic lineup. I didn't get to see the classic lineup. I saw Motorhead a bunch of times, but not not the classic lineup. Um, ACDC with Bon Scott for sure. Early Bad Brains. Um, Metallica with Cliff Burton. I never got to see that. Um, minor threat, never got to see them. And, um, let's see, maybe uh, agnostic front with the one voice lineup. I, I saw them, but that, that's my favorite lineup of, of agnostic front. So I would love to see them again. Yeah. One voice is funny too, because like, you know, when I was younger, I, I couldn't really get into like the, the more like crossover stuff quite as much. And, and now I love that record and, um, it actually kind of relating the two together, speaking of bad brains too. Uh, I'm sure you've seen them a bunch of times too, but I've only got to see them the one time uh, in DC at the Super Bowl Hardcore, and they played like one and a half songs, and uh, the show ended up getting shut down because someone had gotten stabbed during Nest Front. But uh, HR, uh, it's just kind of sad to see the, the way his 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 life has kind of kind of turned over the years because that night he was just like kind of sitting there on stage with a video camera and just like videotaping himself the whole time and not really you know, performing like you would expect HR to perform. Well, I guess now you would expect them to perform like that, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it was cool to see them play Riper Gate and a couple other songs, but it just, it wasn't, it wasn't like what it would have been in the, in the videos and pictures you see from the early eighties, you know? It's very sad because Bad Brains is one of the most incredible bands ever. And, and I didn't, I didn't see them in their heyday. I saw them after that, but you know, even when I saw them, they were, they were a little bit better than, than how, how it's been in, in recent years. But it's sad because people people that see it now they don't they don't grasp just how good that band was like that band was untouchable in their prime and to to see it now you know to 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 see him you know a few years back when he was at CBGB's with a motorcycle helmet on and 
you know, or to see him, you know, with some weird bird cage on his head or something like that, you just you're not getting the full the full effect of what of what that band was and just how how vital and important that band was. And that's sad. It, it really is. But, you know, it looks in recent years like like he's doing better as far as, uh, you know, it, it seems like he's gotten gotten some help. But, you know, he's not he's not into, you know, hardcore and punk rock anymore. He's more into the, the reggae side of things. So. I think that that ship has sailed on seeing, you know, a resurgence of bad brains that everybody would be like, wow, you know, but what can you do? Yeah. And obviously I think we can both agree that bad brains has been pretty influential in our lives. Um, my son's name is Hendrix Richard. So, I mean, if you put the initials together, obviously, uh, HR, and I think you and I can both agree that that, that, that Roar cassette is probably one of the most influential, if not the most influential records to come out in hardcore too. Best so. hardcore bands hands down no question i actually prefer rock for light over the roar cassette because that was the first one that i had so i have a i have a connection to that one more but definitely bad bad brains head and shoulders above any other hardcore band i guess you've you've kind of done a lot and obviously like hardcore has probably been a, a really big part of your life for you know most of your life by, by the way it sounds so how has hardcore impacted your life and, and where do you think your life would be without it most of the, the relationships and, and, and friends I have are somehow related to going to shows or hardcore music or, or bands and playing in bands and that type of stuff. Um, it's, it's really incredible how, how many different levels, you know, that, that it can influence you. It's definitely more than just, more than just music. You know, there's, there's a message there that's definitely, you know, influenced, influenced my life over the years and just, you know, being taught to, to question, question everything and not, not accept, not accept whatever, whatever you're told, you know, I'll always, always ask questions, always question authority. So what I'd be doing without it, I couldn't tell, I couldn't tell you, I, I would hope that I'd be somehow involved in, in music, but you know, it was, re it was really hardcore and, and punk rock that, that made me want to want to form a band and made me want to have that love because that was, that was something that was accessible on my level. It wasn't looking, looking at a, you know, a, a giant ar arena full of people on, on MTV and seeing people, you know, with teased hair, or, you know, weird outfits on and that was not relatable. It was like hardcore was, you know, the guy in your favorite band comes off the stage and it's like, you, you have a conversation with him. It's not like, you know, you're stuck, you're stuck between, you know, a gigantic barricade from you from you and the band and they're they're on one level and you're on another it was like that that was the the element of hardcore that drew me to it so it's it's tough to say where, where i'd be without that but it's definitely influenced me in so many ways well the community aspect and having it right in your face is definitely one of the things that, that drew me to it and keeps me interested in it and, and it's funny you mentioned the questioning authority part too because when i interviewed mike jeffers for the second part of our interview last weekend that was one of the things he touched on too for because i asked this question to a lot of people and, you know, I, I, I'm not going to give the exact same response I did last week, obviously, but like I, I've come to realize recently too, that a lot of times when I like question a lot of different things, it's because of, of my upbringing with hardcore and stuff like that. And, you know, not to get too far down the rabbit hole of, of politics and stuff like that, but I think we can both agree that now is definitely a time to be questioning authority. Absolutely. Now, now is the time to be questioning authority. And now, now is the time to be, to be using your voice and, and, and letting, letting people know, you know, what, what's going on because there's a lot there's a lot of crazy shit happening right now in this world between you know the virus and between 
all that's transpired in the last couple of weeks with the with the stuff and you know the the protests going on nationwide and the Black Lives Matter and all that stuff. And it's like you know now is not the time to be silent. Now is the now is the time to be to be raising your voice. And now is the time to be you know not not sitting by silently. I can agree with that 100%. And, you know, I, I honestly, I don't really care either way. Well, obviously, I would prefer people kind of have similar beliefs to me, but we don't all have to think the same way. But I guess what I'm getting at is that, like, I think it's better, even if you don't have the same beliefs as somebody else, to speak up and let people know what you believe in, because, you know, like staying quiet and, and just not, not coming out of your shell, just, just, is this, this isn't the time for that. You no, know? definitely not. Now, now is the time to not, not sit on the fence. Now is the time to take a side with what's going on. 100%. Yeah, definitely. So I guess, uh, again, not, not to kind of get down that rabbit hole, I'm sure you're not going to probably talk politics and other subjects for an entire podcast, but uh, kind of wrapping things up, uh, do you have anything else you want to add or, or plug uh, or anything well, like that? Like I said, you know, now, now's, the, now's the time to use your voice and, and, and voice, voice your opinion of all, of all the shit that's going on and all the, all the you know, talk of, talk of tyranny and, and inequality. Now, now is the time more than ever for your voice to be heard. It's not, it's not a time to stay silent. Um, as far as, you know, bands and stuff, who, who knows with, with the current state of the world, when we're going to get back to doing what we do, but, you know, support, support your favorite bands, buy their merch. That's going to help them out, you know, in these times, you know, if you, if you can donate to your favorite venues, the longer we stay shut down, a lot of these places aren't going to open back up. You know, they've got no no money coming in. And even when they do open up, if they're opened up at diminished capacity, you know, they're going to be struggling. So, you know, if you if you support live music and you love live music, help these places, help these places out when you can and help these bands out. And the best way you can do that is by buying their merch, you know, not just not just my bands, but whatever, whatever bands that, that you like, support them and, and help them get through this time because, you know, things are going to be very different going forward and i think it's going to be a long time before things get back to normal if if they ever do we it's we just don't know right now it's uh it's one thing to be like oh you know you're, you're shut down for a couple of weeks shut down you know we don't know it could be could be next year who knows what's going to happen in a couple of weeks it could be could be more than that you never know um so check out uh sheer terror sheer terror merch at deadcitymerch.com um borrow time and heat seeker merch at surfacerecords.net um thank you for the interview i appreciate it shout out to my bandmates shout out to um my black and blue family and shout out to um my girl and my family at home and thank you all right now we're going to hear a few songs from brendan's bands and after that i'll have a few closing comments for this episode First up is called Charred Remains, and it's by Contempt.
The next song is called Holy Roller, and it's by Heatseeker.
The next two songs are from Borrowed Time. The first song is called Paid in Pain, and it features Danny from God Below. After that, you'll hear Judas Kiss, which features Carl from Earth Crisis. Yeah! 
So the last song you'll hear is from Sheer Terror, and it's a Depeche Mode cover. The song is called New Life. Yeah. 
That wraps up episode 13. Special thanks to Brendan Pore for doing the interview with me. As always, thanks to Rob Antonucci for all the help with this podcast. And extra special thanks to my family for all your support. Check us out on the web at EnterpriseHardcorePodcast.com and stay tuned for the next episode.